and welcome to Radio Trivia Podcast Edition. I am your host, Michael T.Y.P. Cole, and with me this week we have a brand new voice, uh, although he's not new to the website, uh, Pedro Hernandez. Hey guys, how uh, you doing? Hey, it's good to have you on. It's, uh, <laughs> it's I'm surprised you haven't been on yet, but uh, good to have you on. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, for those who don't know, Pedro is all the way over in, in Puerto Rico, so we got a long-distance uh, <laughs> Skype connection here. Hopefully things will go well. Uh, it can be as bad as uh, James in Japan. Yeah, you know, it, it's okay. You know, no one's staying up until an ungodly hour. You're, you're up. Yeah. It's 10. That's not too bad. <laughs> yeah, no problem so, for me. I'm okay. I'm cool. So we got five games here. Three are Pedro's selection, and... Uh, Let's just get started. always liked that song. Yeah, that was a great one. Some people have already figured it out, but uh, <laughs> if they haven't, here's song two. Thank you. 
figure it out yet. It can't be that hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got one more song. I mean, we start off easy, you know. Start off easy. Try to cut cut the listeners some slack here, you know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Let's be fair. If you don't know which song is this one, then you are not a Nintendo fan. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But here, here's your question for for the hint, in case you really haven't figured out yet. How many handheld re-releases did this game receive after its Super Nintendo debut? I'm sure everyone's dying to know what game this is. Uh, Pedro, <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Come on, you guys. That was very easy. 
That was Donkey Kong Country for the Super NES, released in 1994. Oh, uh, yeah. I remember when that game came out. There's a sequel coming out. There is a sequel coming out. It's uh, Donkey Kong Country Returns. And uh, based on what I played at E3, it's going to be pretty damn good. The new footage that everyone captured looks really, really good. Have you seen it? I, I have not. I'm, honestly, I, I saw enough of the D3, so I'm kind of of the mindset. I don't want to see anything more until I get the game. Uh, I was the same way with Kirby, where like I know I like this game. I know it's really good. Let's save the rest for the actual game. But uh, if you haven't uh, seen anything of, of Donkey Kong Country Returns yet, or, or you want to see more, Aaron, uh, he went to an event last week, and it's he's got a boatload of video. Go to our website, NintendoWorldReport.com. We got a lot of good stuff there. But this is the Super Nintendo original. And um, I remember the original had a huge marketing blitz, uh, at least uh, at least where I lived. And uh, it was kind of weird because Nintendo was kind of responding to the, like, Sega does with Nintendo don't campaign. <laughs> yeah, we remember that one. Yeah, so it was like they had, like, this is what only can be on the Super Nintendo, not the 32X, not the PlayStation, not the whatever else Sega was out CD. there at the time. And, uh, yeah, that's right. There were like two or three different Sega systems they were saying. This was not that. That's the crazy part. Um, and it was a great game at the time, and it's still visually, if you played on a classic TV, it looks really good. Um, if you played on a modern HD TV, it, it doesn't look so great, but if you. If you play it on the hardware it was meant to be played on, it still looks pretty good. In my case, uh, Donkey Kong Country was the game that made me, that turned me into a Donkey Kong fan for life. Because as a kid, when I played it, I was blown away by everything, including the gameplay, the graphics, and especially the music. To this day, I think that Donkey Kong yeah. 1 and 2 had, or I should say, Donkey Kong Country 1 and 2 had the best soundtracks for the Super NES as well as the best soundtrack for any platforming game ever. I mean... Wow, that's a very strong statement. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you heard the songs just now, just from hearing it, you can imagine where it's taking place. Like, oh, this is on the wire. Yeah. Oh, this is on the jungle. Oh, this is on the snow on, yeah. on the snow stage. And it's so vibrant, so alive that you hear every, you, you hear the stage and, and it's amazing. It adds a lot to the game, believe it or not. At least in my opinion, it adds a lot to the game. And the second game, Donkey yeah. Kong Country 2, made it even better. That you had these songs that are very, very original. That you had everything from very dramatic, haunting, orchestral music to basically like 1950s rock, like you went on the stages. Yeah. And it was amazing. And, and I swear, I play. I heard the soundtrack more times than I actually played the game by itself. If you can, if you can believe that. <laughs> no, I can't. I mean, you're talking to a guy who does a, a radio trivia podcast. Oh, I know. <laughs> and... So I can believe it. Uh, I, I agree with you absolutely, Pedro. That Donkey Kong Country, uh, the gameplay. I don't know if it holds up so well nowadays, but the music and the visuals and uh, the overall atmosphere of, of especially the first one is is still pretty distinct. Yeah, I mean, no. it really was going... I mean, the jungle levels really, you know, they really convey you're in a jungle, yeah. you know? Which is why um, which is why when Donkey Kong 3 and Donkey Kong City 4 came out, I was so disappointed because the soundtrack for the third one was pretty meh. Like, it didn't have, like, character... If I, I might, I might be as bold as to say that 
The soundtrack sounded a lot like a generic third-party platformer rather than a real game. So I heard the soundtrack, I was like, what is this? This, this doesn't have character, this isn't cool, this isn't imaginative, it's pretty meh. But the biggest insult has to be Donkey Kong 64, because the soundtrack for that was basically Banjo Kazooie meets Donkey Kong yes. Country, and I hated it. Yeah. I hated, hated, yeah. hated the soundtrack. <laughs> the only redeeming factor was the Donkey Kong rap, and that's pushing it, my friend. That's pushing it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you. The the Donkey Kong 64 really didn't feel like a Donkey Kong game. Not at all. It was basically Banjo Kazooie with a Donkey Kong skin. In fact, you can take the soundtrack from one of the Banjo-Kazooie games and you can put it in in Donkey Kong 64 and you won't know the difference. You wouldn't know it. I played Donkey Kong 64 before Banjo-Kazooie, so um, I, I kind of have a little bit backwards, but I, I definitely know where you're getting at. And, and it's a shame, too, because I think that the soundtrack for Banjo-Kazooie is also really good, but that only works on that universe, on Banjo-Kazooie. Like, I hear the song and, start, and I think, oh, that's Banjo-Kazooie. Oh I, oh, I remember that. And some of the music there was great, like, especially like how the, the music changed according to where you were heading. Like, for example, example, if you were like on the field, you hear the happy music, like, doo, 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 doo. okay, so when you went to, into the witch's lair, it would get very dark, very ominous, like in a, in a second. Like, you would go out, happy music. You would go in, dramatic music. And I thought that was amazing. Yeah, I mean, Rare really did a good job in, in Banjo-Kazooie of, of having dynamic music. I mean, in every level, a uh, bunch of parts fade in and out, depending on like what location of that world you're in, and in the hub world, too. So, uh, it's sort of like, uh, I think Mario kind of had a little bit of Mario 64, some of that, but Rare kind of took it to the next level. Anyway, we've gone from uh, Donkey Kong Country to Banjo-Kazooie now, so we should probably move on Before to... we move on to the other game, I was going to say that Donkey Kong Country Returns looks to have a great soundtrack as well. Based on the footage that we recently got, some of the music is really good, and best of all, remixes! We got remixes of the other songs as well. See, now you're spoiling things for me. Thanks. Jeez. Oh, okay. Hey. <laughs> Actually, we have, we have to touch on the bonus question, too. Um, so, this is released... Twice, uh, once for Game Boy Color, and uh, once for Game Boy Advance. And I guess the GBA one is, is passable, but uh, I don't know. I think you got to play the original. No, you no, you got to play the original, mainly because of the limitations of the hardware of the handhelds limited the graphics and the musical presentation. You have to play the original game, and you can find it. You can find it on the Bishop console. So if you haven't played it, go play it right now. And if you like it, buy the third game. And if you like the, the second game, I should say. And if you like the second game, pass on on the third one. I'm sorry. Oh, I disagree with you. I, I like Donkey Kong Country 3. I, I agree with you that some of the music was a little more bland. Um, and it, it was a little more formulaic. But I, I think there's still some good level design in Donkey Kong Country 3. I, I'd actually say start with the second one. Yeah, I agree on that Because that, that has the best of both worlds. I agree on that one too. It's the best of the series. All right, well, we got to move on to game two, so Donkey Kong. Yay. Yay. 
why that was that All was right. a double header. That, that that was basically two games in one. If you guys can guess the two games, you guys are awesome. Here's your hint question, guys, now that you're really confused. Which new characters were introduced in the Wii version of the franchise? And I'm sorry, in this Wii version of the franchise. Pedro, take it home. What game is this? It's WarioWare's Mood Moves for the Wii. Wario time! Oh, oh yeah. yeah. It's a me, Wario. God, we got two Warriors on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
I'm talking to you. Yeah. No, no. you're what, Luigi. <laughs> oh, dear. So, WarioWare, smooth moves onto the early games for Wii. Uh, I never really got into this game, honestly, I gotta say. Uh, I've never been a big WarioWare fan. Um, I appreciate uh, the wackiness, but uh, I'm more of a Wario Land fan, so. Uh, but uh, what makes WarioWare so great? I mean, I know you love the game, you've written a lot about the WarioWare series on, on the on the website. Yeah. So, uh, what makes WarioWare WarioWare? Well, first I have to say that I have a personal bias, again, uh, a bias about this series because um, what I mean is that um, that I really love Wario. Wario is like one of my favorite Nintendo characters of all time. I play a lot of the adventure games as well as the WarioWare games. Mm-hmm. So in the end, I'm going to love the games because it stars Mario. Wario. Um, but the main reason that I love uh, the WarioWare series is because I'm a big fan of the weird, wacky, surreal video games. And mm-hmm. WarioWare is basically a very weird game. Like from the very, <laughs> yes, from the very first game to the most recent one, which was WarioWare Do It Yourself, it can, it, it can get mm-hmm. really weird. And the weirder it gets, the better it gets for me because I love that kind of that kind of that kind of stuff. It definitely has a unique brand of humor. Um, I mean, some people might say it's Japanese. I don't think it's Japanese. I think it's just Wario. Yeah, I agree. Just, it's weird. Um, it's not like the other Japanese games that I played where I played and I say, oh yeah, this is basically Japanese humor or crack. While Wario is more like cartoony wackiness that goes very random, mm-hmm. like on crack. That's something that you could watch on, <laughs> on Cartoon Network or Nickelodeon, yes. but on crack and speed. So basically, Ren and Stimpy at a table. Oh yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> There's weird stuff: picking noses, pulling hairs off of things, dressing people, poking kitties. Yeah, there's just a lot of weird stuff. I mean, the thing that always amazed me is that it just sort of, like, you start the game and it's just sort of an onslaught of, of stuff. I mean, it's like you don't even have time to process it. Like the first time you play a WarioWare game, it's like, what's going on? You know? And that's why I love the game so much. It was so crazy, so random that I couldn't help but love it, at least myself. But I can see how people will enjoy the series because it's very weak, it's very um, random, and it ends very quickly. Like, you can finish the game like in an hour or two. And so I don't understand why some people won't be, um, won't enjoy the game that much. But on my end, that's why I love the series because it's wacky, it's Wario. Very fun. It's very creative at times, especially when you consider that the game has been on many platforms. And even though all of them feature the same gameplay, all of them are quite different in their own way. Yeah, I mean, the only WarioWare game I own is uh, Twisted, which I, I think has some pretty clever stuff going on. And part of it's the uh, the interface is just sort of strange. I mean, you don't you're basically turning your your uh, Game Boy around and uh i don't know it's it's not like really anything else because like kirby's tilt and tumble and those kind of games they, they deal tilting this is twisting it's rotating so it's like you have to rotate your actual handheld to like make things turn and it's just it was amazing it was great i i guess the wii kind of you can do that kind of with wii but it's it's still different when the the controller is in your hand and maybe uh on 3ds you'll see a little more of that kind of phenomenon uh, i'm not sure but for me, it was pretty unique. Um, 
maybe not so much. The best way to explain it is that the Wii version was pretty basic. Like they they just um, even though they went they were a little bit creative with the controls, overall they were pretty basic compared to what um, Twisted did on the Game Boy Advance. Mm-hmm. Well, I think they they Nintendo's tended uh, after maybe Twisted to to use WarioWare as kind of a testing ground for ideas and control schemes and it's almost like a, a lot of different proof of concepts now. I mean, they just rushed at, I mean, Touched was pretty rushed and uh, then then uh, Smooth Moves was pretty ch- rushed as well and, it, and they weren't bad games for it but I, I think that uh, the earlier Warrior games maybe they spent a little more time on because uh, they didn't realize it was going to be this series when they first worked on it really. Yeah, they thought that it was going to be like a random game I, I have the feeling that WarioWare started like a random game starting these new, these new characters and they said, you know what, it's going to be too wacky, too silly, even for us, maybe we should add Wario to, to the game to see if, we, if people would notice, and when they noticed that the game was a success, it was like, holy crap, we have a franchise on our hands, thanks to Wario. Yep, I, I mean, I, it, it's great, I, for a while I was worried that... Uh, that the old style of Wario games would kind of fade into obscurity, but uh, at least Wario Land Shaggy came out, and, it, and that's a good game, and that's yeah. closer to the to the old stuff. So, um, so th- there's room in this world and room in my heart for both. Uh, I think they're very distinct, but uh, but they're both good. Yeah, I enjoy them equally for different reasons. I enjoy Waterworld for the wackiness. I enjoy Wildland for the platforming. Right. And before we move on, I have to mention the music in the Waterworld series. This is a music podcast. Um, I would say that it's kind of underrated when it comes to the Nintendo canon. Like everybody talks about Zelda, um, Donkey Kong, Mario, and stuff like that. And yet Waterworld doesn't show up often, even though it has some really catchy really silly and really enjoyable music especially the vocal tracks like you listen to some of the vocal tracks and it's going to stay, stick with you forever like this year's Mona Pizza I'm sorry guys that that's going to be stuck on your head for a while now uh, I also think maybe something that goes underappreciated with uh, the Wireware series is there, there are a lot of like two or three second tracks and yeah. it's easy to ignore them but I mean, I don't know. They set the stage. They set the tone for the whole game, and uh, and so there are little like mini themes that help you recognize what game you're playing, things like that. So um, it's even greater. The sound when you design know is, is is notable. Yeah, it's even greater when you when you listen to a song and say, "Oh, this sounds romantic," and yet then you play the game and it's about you cleaning the nose of a lady. <laughs> wow, I guess I haven't played enough Warrior. <laughs> Uh, there are three new ca- there are th- <laughs> there are three new characters uh, introduced in Smooth Moves. That was uh, that was the hint question. So, uh, what are the three characters before we move on? Okay, the first new character that was introduced on the Wii version was Penny Quagol, which is actually the grand the granddaughter of one of the assisted characters, Quagol. And the other two new characters are actually. John Cricket and Master Mantis. These two characters were basically like a parody of the Karate Kid. You have uh, the Apprentice and the Master, like Mr. Miyagi and I forgot the name of the other character. I'm sorry, Daniel, Danielson, Danielson. And the other funny thing about the series, I know that I'm rambling, but I enjoy the series, um, is that if you notice, 
The game starts a big, fat, heavy, disgusting Italian and his employees are mainly consists of underage girls. Have you noticed? Have you noticed that? Um, I I did not make that connection. No. Have you noticed <laughs> that that there's Mona, which is a teenager, I believe. Then you have Cat and Anna, which are toddlers. Yeah. There's um Ashley, the little witch girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now you have Penny Quago. That's like five little girls working for Wario. Are they all explicitly working for Wario? Is that the concept of the game? Well, well, the idea for the first game, at least, was that Wario was bored one day and he heard that a game was selling like crazy. Oh, yeah. and, be- and because he's very greedy, he said, right. "Wow, I'm going to make my own game." And so he started calling up his friends and. Okay. And that's when you meet the other new characters. He keeps calling them and telling them, "Hey, I'm making a game. I want you to help me out." Well, Wario's cheap. He wants underage slaver. Uh, you know, they're cheaper that way. <laughs> In more ways than possible, my friend. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we're going to go on to game three, which uh, which is a listener request. So uh, here we go. This one might be a little harder than the first two, guys. It's very mysterious. You know, I I don't know how many are going to get this game, but we'll see.
Still mysterious. Well, it fits with the game, if that's that's a hint. Um, here's a question. In which U.S. state does this game take place in the North American release? Let's solve this mystery. The mystery is... Who played this game? Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, the mystery is what this game is, and that mystery is solved now. It is Trace Memory, uh, also known as Another Code, Two Memories in uh, PAL regions. This is the uh, uh, the Sing-developed DS game. It's a kind of a adventure game where you're wandering around on the bottom screen and... I think there's artwork displayed on the top screen, so either characters talking to each other or whatever rendering of the landscape. And it very much is a traditional uh, explore, find the key, or solve a puzzle, and uh, to progress kind of a game. Um, I remember the most about it is that like the main item that's kind of your detective's kit. It looks like a Nintendo DS, so it's one of those Nintendo DS and a Nintendo DS games. I always found that weird. But um, I only played very little of this game, to be honest. Um, it didn't really strike me as terribly interesting um, when I played it, but uh, it does have a following. Um, I mean, the sequel was released for Wii, and it came out in, uh, I think, PAL and North America. Oh, no, I'm sorry, PAL and Japan, right? Yeah, it came um, out in Japan and Europe. Yeah. 
Yeah, like it went out and then they went out of business, right? Sing like went out of business really shortly after it came out. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Actually, they went under after they released the DS sequel to what the Hotel Dogs. Oh yeah! Wow. So they had sequels to both of these games and then they went under. That's kind of strange. Uh, it's a shame too because it looked like Nintendo was going to support them because they had the characters appearing in stuff like Smash Brothers, like trophies, stickers, and, and yeah. I said, well, well, Nintendo might be behind this game after all. But then I heard that they went on there and said, oh. It must have just not sold to expectations. It must have been, you know, I, I, I gotta think maybe Nintendo was kind of like, we'll give you another shot. And then, then it didn't sell. I, I don't know. I mean... I, I can't imagine they had a huge marketing push. Nintendo is not good at marketing their second-tier games. Um, Unfortunately, yeah. So that that was probably one problem. They, you know, Nintendo tends to think, well, if I put my name on it, it'll sell well, right? So That's definitely not the case unless uh, he says, Nintendo approves of this game, you gotta buy it. And, and they had to make a big deal out of it. I don't know. I mean, I I didn't see what was the big deal about this game at E3. It, you know, it was an adventure game, and at the time, in whatever, 2005, there weren't that many of those on the DS, so that was nice. You have to remember, too, that Trace Memory was also one of those DS games that tried to use every aspect of the DS technology, like the touchscreen, yeah. and the two screens. I remember some of the puzzles were very creative because they that you had to think like literally outside the box and, and try to close the DS or Oh, is this something. one of the games where you had to close the DS to solve a puzzle? Yeah. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken because I, I too didn't play it that much. I only remember playing it back in the summer two thousand six uh-huh. and playing a couple of levels. And I didn't get that far, but I, a lot of my friends are big fans of the series, and they keep telling me that some of the puzzles were amazing and very mm-hmm. creative. So I, I think that's why the game gained such a cult following, because it was very creative at the time. Yeah. I have to wonder if uh, games like Professor Layton and maybe Phoenix Wright took some of the limelight and... Uh, Trace memory kind of got a back a seat because there was a lot of word of mouth for both of those games. Yeah, um, definitely. But you have to realize that Phoenix Wright was around way before Trace Memory, so that was a very popular. Absolutely, in 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 Japan that's true. In Japan, America yeah. that wasn't true. I mean, in America it was brand new, and uh, and there were a lot of games to localize from that series. So it's kind of weird how that that one game fared while the other two did pretty well. I assume that for Phoenix Wright, Capcom didn't spend a lot of money except for localizing, so they didn't lose much, so they decided to keep releasing when it gained a cult following. Yeah. I don't know about Layton, maybe Layton did well because of word of mouth. What happened with Layton was, was uh, well, they knew it was very successful in Japan first off, so they kind of had that Pokemon vibe to it where they, know, they knew it was a good product. And uh, they released it and it, it did okay. But then they decided, you know what, this can do a lot better, and they started marketing it. And once they started marketing it to a wide audience, it sold like gangbusters. So yeah. uh, that didn't really happen with Trace Memory. Yeah. Uh, and with Phoenix Wright, Capcom didn't make enough copies of the game, so they sold the copies they had, and then people realized, oh crap, this game's good. And, uh, and they didn't really reprint the game. So uh, I'm not sure how many in North America there are out there for the first Phoenix Wright. 
think there was kind of a lost opportunity there. Well, but that kind of that, that, that kind of thing doesn't happen anymore because the three Phoenix Wright games are available on WiiWare. So if you can find the DS... Right. So now you can go back. And, and if you haven't played the first Phoenix Wright game, I highly recommend it. Uh, it, it has the best localization. I'm not going to say it's the best Phoenix Wright game, but it has the best localization. It's the funniest game yeah, uh, of I the whole, whole series. So um, the third one's my I, favorite, though. On that note, I can't wait for the... Later on, Phoenix Wright crossover game. Oh, I can't wait for that. That's going yeah, to be so that, awesome. That's crazy. Yeah, that's. When I first saw the trailer, when Layton was talking about she's a witch, she's evil, she's guilty, <laughs> and then Wright is like, objection, objection. There's there's a contradiction on your statement. Anyway, uh, the answer to the question is uh, the the setting, at least in the North American localization for Trace Memory, is uh, set in Washington State on a fictional island known as Blood Edward Island. Um, Very solid uh, game. Yeah, I wonder if they uh, changed that for Europe, too. They made a lot of changes for the European localization. Okay, guys, that's your job. Any other uh, European gamers, answer that question for us. You know, I think it came out first in Europe, so I don't... It may have been North America that changed it. I I don't know, but from what I've read, the... The uh, main character's personality is a little bit different, and uh, and it just sort of subtle changes like that, more than just being spelled differently. So, if I dare to say, the game kind of had like a localization from hell because for every every time it was released, something would change in the process that way radically. Whether it was the title, the story, the names, it was crazy for Trace Memory. That's true. Yeah, they had a completely different name, so I'm sure there was a bunch of. I mean. I think they really tried to tar- target different demographics or tailor it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the rationale was for doing all that, but they certainly tried. Um, so that was requested by Darth Ridley. So thank you, Darth Ridley. And if you want us to use your game request, you can click on the email link in the story for this episode of the podcast, or you can just email me at typ at nintendoworldreport.com. Either way, it'll get to me, and I'll put it in my list of games to, to choose for subsequent episodes. So keep them coming, guys. Uh, I've got some good requests, and I'd always love to get more. And you want to contact me, you can find me at... Nah, just kidding. <laughs> You, you don't have time to deal with that. You're too busy actually writing reviews. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, uh, unlike me. So, But we're going to go on to another Pedro request here. So uh, get your thinking caps on.
Oh, that was less annoying when I selected it earlier today. Sorry. It's very bouncy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I I promise the second song won't be quite as bouncy. I promise you. Okay. Actually, almost reminds me of like a banjo kazooie song, but it isn't <laughs> in a weird yeah. way. All right, here's the question for all you listeners out there: the Genesis version of this title featured an extra level based on an entry in the main character's film career. What short film was it? Very specific. time what game is this Pedro well you guys did get this game was Mickey Mania for every console available including the Super NES right and this is of course the SNES soundtrack yeah um, 
So Mickey Mania, we, we of course chose this because of uh, the upcoming Mickey game, Epic Mickey. Um, and I, I think this is actually a really appropriate selection for that for that uh, release because uh, Mickey Mania, like Epic Mickey, really tries to tap into some of the classic um, Mickey episodes and films. Um, a lot of like, the levels are apparently based on uh, classic films like S- Steamboat Willie or, uh, in the case of uh, the bonus question, the band concert. Um, yeah. So it, it kind of... I mean, I owned a Mickey game on the NES, Mickey Mouse Capade. It wasn't really trying to emulate the cartoons. It was just sort of an action game with, with Mickey characters. Um, this game clearly... Uh, is, is going for very much the uh, uh, this these are classic episodes we're, we're trying to recreate that um, and uh, from what I've seen in Epic Mickey it, it, they're doing that too at least for the side scrolling levels so um, but Mickey Mania you, have you played this Pedro? oh yeah I played it a lot as a kid like it was one of my favorite games growing up I kept writing it all the time and the reason that I love that it is is because you already explained it it's because it takes all of the classic shorts and and movies and turns them into games and at the time that was pretty unique because the other games that came before it um, they were basically generic like Mickey in a pirate ship, Mickey in right. some magical world or Mickey's in outer space, something like that yeah. but this game actually tried to make a level out of the classic movies so when I played that as a kid, I was very excited to recognize every short. Like, oh, I remember that short. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I remember that short too. Oh, this is awesome. Uh, uh, this is great. I love it. Um, but unfortunately, like many other games from the nostalgic era, it doesn't it doesn't live up that much. It doesn't yeah. live up anywhere. So, so if you went back and played it, the gameplay isn't terribly good? It just doesn't? I won't say it's bad, considering that it could have, it could have been much worse, considering, mm-hmm. considering it's a licensed game and license, yeah. licensed games don't get to be that lucky. But there were some problems, at least on the Super NES version, that weren't present on the Genesis version, okay. which includes some um, hit detection issues. Ooh. The soundtrack was a little bit better on the Genesis, and there was that okay. one extra level that wasn't available on the mm-hmm. Super NES, so they pretty much did the opposite of what would happen back in the day when the Genesis was the one that get to get the inferior port. Right. But in this case, the, the Super NES actually got the worst version. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the game was released on on the Super NES, I believe it was released on the computer, it was mm-hmm. released on... The Sega Genesis, there was a Sega CD version, and those uh, those versions were actually much better than the Super NES version. I had no idea this game came out on Sega CD. That's that's uh, surprising. And the best of all about the Sega CD version was that it had um, orchestrated music, it had voice acting, and the graphics were a little bit better. Yeah, that's that's uh, surprising. I didn't realize this game was that multi-platform. But um, at least it captured the license. I think far too often uh, games use a license in a very generic way when they really should be building their games around uh, the themes and concepts of the game. And, and if a license does not lend itself to a video game, you shouldn't make a game based on it. 
I mean, really. I mean, there there are plenty of games that have done a good job of of capturing this. You know, like Ninja Trolls is a great licensed game. You know, because yeah, it's, it's clearly you can like, all these guys are fighting. You can make a video game out of it. Um, I mean, I, I remember Johnny uh, was reviewing a, uh, a a video game adaptation of Ratatouille. Uh, and I saw Ratatouille with him when I visited him up in Colorado, and then he had to start playing this game for review, and it just almost poisoned this wonderful, awesome movie for him because he, he was playing this video game that absolutely had nothing to do with the themes and, and characteristics of the movie and, and kind of the message the movie was trying to convey. It was completely opposite. It was all about him trying to steal food or something as opposed to the movie was about which was making food not stealing so <laughs> dude I agree, I agree completely with what you just said right now I agree completely like for example if I love uh, like X franchise and I really want to play in the world that the, the franchise takes place in mm-hmm. and interact with the characters I want a game that does justice to the story and the characters and that's unfortunately the problem with licensed games where they used the characters and son of the story and put it like in a genetic universe and they say, there you go, be happy. Yeah, well, and some of that happens, especially in the old days, a lot of that would happen because they used their budget entirely on the license. And I imagine that still does happen. Um, but it's and unfortunate. Dude, you mentioned Ratatouille, which is basically like one of my favorite movies of all time. Like, if I was able to make a game out of it, I would do basically like a Cookie Mama type yeah. game starting the characters not like a platformer maybe you can do like some story segments like for example the way I see it it could be like a semi sequel to the movie where at the end they're at their own restaurant so now you have to be like the manager of the restaurant and get out the food in time <laughs> stuff like that something that deals with the movie itself yeah exactly it's really funny because we're watching Ratatouille we're getting way off topic now but Johnny and I were watching the movie and you know there's the part where um, where he's he's steering the human by tugging on his hair and we're like dude that would totally make sense in a Wii game and then he went home and he's like yeah that was never in the Wii game that that concept <laughs> never made it. I mean it was so obvious but it was never there I know what <laughs> so, you're saying I know what you're saying it would have been like a killer mini game like with the Wii Wii yeah. like nunchuck and saying go left Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like, no. And, and part of it's because often when they're developing these games, they really don't know much about the movie. Um, because Especially with like something like Pixar, where they're very tight-lipped about their plots. Um, that's part of the problem, but there's no real reason why that should be a problem. I, it's it's pathetic. <laughs> I would say that one of the better adaptations of, of a Pixar movie had to be Cars. And I mention this because... The game that came out around the same time as the movie was actually a direct sequel to the movie rather than trying to retell it. Yeah, I think a lot of good licensed games go that route. And it's a very smart move because otherwise you're very much tied to um, the, the storyline of the movie and it may really restrict your gameplay structure or, or you know, it, it's very limiting. So I think a lot of licensed games either do these parallel universe type stuff or parallel storyline where yeah. where the other character that maybe wasn't the main character is doing or I mean there are plenty of ideas and, and I think developers are getting better at at thinking of these kinds of things but yeah you still see you still see bad licensed games what can I say um, anyways regarding Epic Mickey before we move on I have to say that 
As a Disney fan, I'm excited for it. I really want to play it. But as a gamer, I'm kind of iffy because I keep watching these videos and the gameplay looks so basic. And then you have one inspector talking about it like it's going to be the greatest thing ever. And I'm not making that connection. So as a fan, I'm excited. As a gamer, I'm wary. Yeah, I, I mean, my impression from playing at E3 was that it, it was a, a competent platformer. Uh, hopefully the 2D sections will, will get much more complex. The, what they had on display was very basic, but it was the first side-scrolling area. Yeah, that's so, basically yeah. what Neo, Neo is saying as well, that every time Disney puts the game on to show, like to demo, they always show the same basic levels, and that might be the reason why when you watch the game, it feels so underwhelming. So, but maybe as you keep playing, the levels get more complex, it gets more creative, and maybe even the story gets a little bit better. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, they were trying to promote this idea that like, depending on what you do in the levels, the, the characters interact with you differently, and I, I didn't see too much of that in my limited time, but... Um, but it, it, hopefully it actually warrants playing through multiple times. Maybe there are funny things that happen. I mean, my impression was that it would just give you an unlockable. But m maybe, maybe there's more That was more the impression it. that I got as well. But we'll, uh, we'll see. I think uh, that game comes out, what, at the end of the month? Is that... November 30th. Yeah, so the end of the month. Just in time for, for holiday season. I doubt so. it's going to suck. I doubt. But no, it's, it's not going to suck. It, but I doubt it's not, good, it's not going to be that great. Right. I don't think it's going to knock your socks off, but as a as a licensed platformer, I think it will be very competent based yeah. on what I play. And, and if you're a fan of, you know, Disney, there's a lot of in-jokes and references that I think will be one of the primary appeals of the game, frankly. You know what? It's going to be interesting watching as I play, so I may do like a pictorial explaining what the references are to, to our readers, so stay tuned for that, I guess. Yeah, that would be an interesting feature. But, uh, so we can look for that in about a month. <laughs> yeah, when I play it. All right, we got one more game here for you guys, and, well, I don't know. It could be a tricky one.
I really like that one. Yeah, this game uh, doesn't have a huge soundtrack, but it's really good. Yeah, it's really good. I really enjoyed it. And I don't even know which game it came from. Once again, an awesome music. It's very victorious too. Yeah, I just feel like I'm like I've won and I'm just sort of striding back into town. Um, here's your question: What is the name of the character that you play as?
now you've heard basically the whole soundtrack from this game, believe it or not. <laughs> um, but this is Air Fortress for the NES, and it was suggested by Megabyte, who knows about all things old school. Um, you know, I was not aware of this game, but the weird thing is I've heard the music from this game before. I, I, a cover band called The Advantage uh, did a cover of one or two songs from this game, and uh, I didn't even know what game it was from. I had just heard it before. Um, so I have no idea how well-known this game is. I don't know if it's actually got a cult following or if it's really popular and I just never played it or what. But um, it's made by HAL Laboratory. Um, it was published by HAL. This is before uh, Nintendo purchased them. So, um, you know, so it's kind of the same time they were making Lolo games or maybe a little bit after. Um... And uh, there's kind of two phases to the game. The concept is that you're, whatever, your planet's being invaded by these giant fortresses, and so you need to destroy them one by one. And those are the different levels. And so you, the first part is like a, you're in a starship, and you're fighting kind of in the side-scrolling Gradius-type um, levels where, where, you know, it's, it's just basically a side-scrolling shooter. Um, and then once you reach the, I guess, the entrance to the little fortress, you get out on foot. And it, to me, uh, is a little bit like, you know, maybe it's a little bit like playing uh, Blaster Master when you're doing the side-scrolling stuff, except outside of the tank, if that makes any sense. You're on foot, and you're jumping around shooting with a laser gun. Um, but in this game, you have a jetpack, which is, um, based on what I've seen, it's almost unlimited. You, you have a, a meter... But uh, which is your fuel, but it seems to be get depleted very slowly. Perhaps there's different gravity on different levels, I don't know. And so that would maybe make you deplete your energy faster. But um, so the concept basically is, is one side scrolling shooting and two platformer with a jetpack. So it sounds pretty cool to me. And I'm quite surprised it is not on virtual console. Um, in fact, maybe it is in Japan. I'll have to look it up. Um, because it's was developed and published by HAL, and Nintendo owns HAL now, so there are no legal issues here. It came out in 87 in Japan and 1989 in, uh, in North America, so once again, really isn't any problem there. Uh, I don't know why this game isn't on virtual console. Um, well, I know it. I don't know about the game. I never heard of it. This is the first time that I actually hear of it. And so far, I'm impressed with the music. Like, they're so victorious, so awesome, so triumphant that yeah. you hear it and you feel like that you could take on the war. Right. War. I think I think the music's great in this game. I, I think there are only three or four songs, unfortunately, but the songs that are there are really good. And and I think you know the side scrolling level has a different different music from the platforming level. So at least. You get some variety, but uh, just from a gameplay standpoint, it looks interesting. It's at least at least worth throwing up on the service. I think I think there would be enough interest just based on the fact that it's developed by HAL. But eh, what you gonna do? Anyway, it was requested by Megabyte, and, and I thank him very much for this excellent selection that I would never have thought of. Yeah, now I'm very curious about it. I might have to check it out. Yeah, I'm I'm really curious about it because I really enjoyed the soundtrack. Yeah, and, and now that you know it's developed by Hal, you'll, you'll get a kick out of the answer to the question. The, the name of the character you play as is Hal Bailman. So they they kind of have an in-joke there. The character is named after the company. So, But uh, with that, 
uh, I think we're going to wrap up the show. I want to thank you, Pedro, for uh, recording with me tonight. And, uh, well, hopefully we'll have you on again. Uh, it was really fun. I really enjoyed it. Hopefully next time I can join you and talk even more crap about games that <laughs> I'm usually too quiet to talk about. We'll see you guys next time. Keep listening to Radio Trivia and check out our other podcast, Radio Free Nintendo and the Newscast. With that, thanks. Bye, everyone. Okay, see you guys. See you around. Keep playing games. Kong Country is copyright 1994 Nintendo. WarioWare Smooth Moves is copyright 2006-2007 Nintendo. Crazy Memory is copyright 2005 Nintendo Sing. Mickey Mania, The Timeless Adventures of Mickey Mouse is copyright 1994 Sony Electronic Publishing Company, The Walt Disney Company. Air Fortress is copyright 1987-1989 HAL Laboratory, HAL America. Objection! It has the best localization. I'm not going to say it's the best Phoenix Wright game, but it has the best localization. It's the funniest game yeah, uh, of I the whole, whole series. So, um, third one's my favorite, though. On that note, I can't wait for the later Phoenix Wright crossover game. Oh, I can't wait for that. That's going yeah, to be so that, awesome. That's crazy. Yeah, that's. When I first saw the trailer, when Layton was talking about she's a witch, she's evil, she's guilty, <laughs> and then Wright is like, objection! Objection! There's there's a contradiction on your statement, and Layton is so angry as he's like, bitch, you're trying to tell me that I'm wrong. <laughs> Whoa! I don't think I don't think Phoenix Wright would use that language. <laughs> but uh, no, no, later. Yeah, you mean later? 
Uh, like, you know, he's neither would use he's neither would use that language. They're both Fe- uh, Professor Layton's way too sophisticated, cultured, and Phoenix Wright is, is too uh, polite. <laughs> Um, they may not say it, but they might be thinking it. Saying, yeah. What yeah. the hell is the ha- asshole doing here? Why is he telling me that I'm wrong? That is, wow. It's like that, but when they say, I'm sorry, but I have to disagree with that statement, you see, because I have the evidence right there, but in their mind, they're like, fuck you, bitch. I'm right, you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> this is a first for radio trivia. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, it's a wee Wario! <laughs> yeah, well, you can do more smack talking and, and tell me what, what uh, Phoenix Wright's really thinking. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway, I so. Could do uh, like an, I could do like an entire monologue out of it. <laughs> this, could be the, this could be like the second audio track on a DVD like the, with the director's commentary. <laughs> yeah. So, except with what they're really thinking. 